The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, learn about the currency reader distribution program at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing and get a legislative and advocacy update from Tony Stevens. Welcome to ACB Reports for May 2016. Lynn Oliar is the director of the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, which is part of the U.S. Department of the Treasury. He recently spoke with ACB Reports to explain the Bureau's Meaningful Access Program and the Free Currency Reader Distribution. As part of the uh, Bureau of Engraving and Printing's Meaningful Access Initiative, we looked at how we can provide access to United States currency for the uh, blind and visually impaired and we actually commissioned a significant study that uh, was done, and the outcome of the study was three recommendations for us to help provide meaningful access. One was to continue to produce a enlarged numeral on the backside of the note. The second was to offer a currency reader program to the blind and visually impaired, whereby the government would provide to uh, U.S. citizens or legal residents at no cost to them a device that would denominate currency for them. And the uh, third aspect of the program, which the Secretary of Treasury has approved all three of the initiatives, was to add a tactile feature to the next series of currency as part of the redesign project. Recognizing that adding the tactile feature as part of the redesign project was going to take a while for us to get notes with tactility into circulation and have them be a predominant amount. The reader program was deemed to be a solution now so that blind and visually impaired can denominate currency today. So the currency reader distribution program has been in place now for, what, a couple of years? Correct. The program went full scale on January 2nd, uh, last year. To date, we've distributed almost 39,000 currency readers. And uh, we actually uh, added something to the uh, Secretary's recommendations as new technology emerged. We also have uh, put out on the iStore a uh, free application, and it's also on the Android store as well, an application that folks can download to their uh, iPhones or Android phones that will also enable them to denominate U.S. currency. And we've seen about 34,000 downloads of uh, those apps to date. So that's available on both the iPhone and Android systems? That's correct. What reader is provided and how does it work? It is actually a commercially available reader. It's the iBill Talking Banknote Identifier. It's a small handheld device that denominates U.S. currency. In order to denominate a note, what you do is you push a corner of the note into a slide on the device, and the reader will announce the denomination of the note in one of three modes. It'll use a voice mode where it will tell you the denomination. You can get a pattern of tones that will tell you the denomination. And for privacy, 
You can also get it to give you a pattern of vibrations that will tell you the denomination. And those vibrations will also serve a deaf-blind person as well. Correct. And, it, and if they're concerned about somebody in public hearing what note that they're putting into their wallet or pulling out, that way they have a, a sense of privacy. And the iBill note runs on a, a AAA battery, which is included in the uh, package when you order one. In the news in the last few days has been the upcoming new $20 bill with the new picture of Harriet Tugman. Will this unit work with this new bill when it comes out? The answer is that as the uh, new bills are designed and developed, we worked collaboratively with the uh, banknote equipment manufacturers to update the software so that before they go into circulation, they are accepting the new design notes. So we will do the same with the uh, company that has developed the iBill talking banknote reader or follow-on company who uh, provides the devices. And we're not just talking about one denomination for redesign, although a lot of the focus has been on the redesign of the 20 and the change of the portrait there. We're actually planning to redesign the $10 note first, and after that, the 5 and then the 20 And the secretary has asked us to accelerate all three, but all three of those notes will include a tactile feature on them. So those are the first in the new family of notes that we've committed to adding a tactile feature to. So the 20 will actually be down the road. With all the media coverage, I was thinking it was going to be first. In order to get the iBill currency reader from your department, what do I have to do? You have to request an application form, first and foremost, as it needs to be uh, completed and filled out. And you can do that on our website, BEP, Bureau Engraving and Printing, BEP.gov slash uscurrencyreaderform.html. Or you can call our toll-free 800 number, 844-815-9388, and ask that an application be mailed to you. Once you receive the application form, in order to complete it, you must get either a uh, verification of your visual impairment by a certifying authority, doctor's office, social worker, medical professional, or if you already have some type of verification of your visual impairment from some other federal, state, or local organization, all you need to do is include a copy of that, and then you won't need to get the signed verification on the application form. I am a patron of the National Library Service uh, Talking Book Program for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, which was the initial prototype of the program, and the uh, process for a uh, library user is really quite painless. I just called up my library and they took care of it. We have uh, actually had a very good partnership with the uh, National Library Service and the the services that they're providing to the uh, blind and uh, physically handicapped. They are our distribution partner and uh, we've been able to leverage their database of people who already registered so they don't need to provide that verification and certification is a much more streamlined process if you are registered with them already. I get the application. Can I print that online or is it something that has to be mailed to me? You can print it online, but you need to complete it in paper. You can't Mm. complete the application form online and then you need to uh, mail it back to us and we will process the application. And the uh, application should be mailed to the U.S. Currency Reader Program, 14th and C Street, Southwest, Washington, D.C., zip code 20228.
and those instructions come with the form as well. When the application is completed and it's mailed in, how long does it take for it to be processed and for the reader to be mailed out? We say that individuals should allow up to eight weeks for delivery, but the uh, National Library Service has actually made a number of significant improvements in the uh, distribution process and the uh, system that backs that up. And what we're typically seeing now is within three to four weeks, the readers are delivered. And so the National Library Service, NLS, is actually handling the physical distribution for you? That's correct. Rather than build our own distribution infrastructure, because they already had a distribution infrastructure for the book readers and other products that they provide to the blind and visually impaired, we leverage their expertise to get this program standing up quicker. If a person has trouble getting their reader to work, now I know it has some instructions that come with it. Talk about those first, and then we can talk about if you follow the instructions and it doesn't work. Yeah, the instructions that are included with the currency reader come in uh, three different formats. There's large print, braille, and uh, on a CD. And the instructions are also available on our website at bp.gov. Uh, you need to make sure that the note is put snugly into the uh, slot at the uh, corner of the device and that the uh, unit is programmed to the desired output mode. But if anybody is having difficulty or needs any type of assistance in operating the device, again, you, all you have to do is call our toll-free support line, 844-815-9388, and an operator will be happy to assist you in troubleshooting your device. And one thing I've found is that uh, if the corner of the bill doesn't want to lie flat, sometimes that makes it unhappy. And I have to work with it if it's a worn, really, really worn out bill. And you can use any of the four corners. So if you have problems with one of the corners of the uh, bill or either side, it doesn't matter which way the note faces, it should be capable of denominating. So flip it, it over, turn it around, try a different corner. And it reads very quickly, too. Now, if I receive a reader and it's damaged... What do I do? If you receive a reader and it's broken, again, please just call our toll-free support line, 844-815-9388, and request a replacement, and we will send a replacement device to you. And you do not have to return the damaged device. We're not going to ask that it's shipped back. It's just, you know, there's right. no need to go through that. And if it's stolen or some way lost, if I'm traveling and it uh, falls out of my pocket or is uh, taken from my briefcase while I'm traveling, what happens then? Our goal is to provide meaningful access to the greatest extent possible. All you need to do is give us a call, tell us that your device has been lost or stolen on the 800 line, 844-815-9388, and we will send you a replacement device. Is this one per customer? I mean, other than the, you know, replacing one that's lost or something, I assume I can't say, hey, I want three of these things. That is correct. The BP will provide one currency reader to any U.S. citizen or legal resident residing who is blind or visually impaired. The device, the iBuild talking banknote reader, is commercially available product, and individuals wanting additional readers can purchase them directly from the manufacturer. And as I mentioned earlier, if you've got an iPhone or an Android, you can also download the free applications that's available to denominate U.S. currency as well. And can I make the request to receive a reader for my child or for a parent or a family member or a friend? Parents or the legal guardians for a child under the age of 18, caregivers, 
or individuals with a power attorney may act as a proxy on behalf of a blind or visually impaired person. A certified application still must be submitted, but the uh, guardian or caregiver can request that. Have you gotten much feedback from the consumers who have received the currency reader, and uh, what has that feedback been? BEP annually at somewhere between 10 and 20 different conferences that uh, have uh, outreach to the blind and visually impaired. And uh, last year at the uh, National Federation of the Blind and American Council for the Blind conferences, we directly requested feedback from the individuals that have requested the reader. And uh, kind of uh, following along the lines of what you said, you know, people were very uh, favorably disposed to the device, that the, it worked relatively quickly and accurately to denominate all currency that's in circulation today. Over 90% highly positive rating to the uh, program and the device at, at this point. So, you know, we feel very good that it's helping us to achieve our goal of providing meaningful access. This program then will be ongoing for the uh, foreseeable future? I'll be honest with you, no decision has been made with respect to the program, but I don't anticipate that we're ever going to uh, take away the program. There are two things that uh, make me think that this program has great longevity. One is, by law right now, we are prohibited from redesigning the $1 note. The other part is that for a very long time, you're going to have co-circulating notes with tactile feature and without tactile feature. For example, our $100 note in circulation today lasts over 10 years in circulation. So those notes aren't going to be taken out of circulation anytime soon. My hope is that uh, what we see sometime between now and I'll say the next uh, 15 or 20 years is some even greater assistive technology comes down the road and we're able to shift to the device to, I'll say, whatever this is, and it is even more useful for the blind and visually impaired. You know, we're continuing to monitor, you know, what assistive technology is out there and uh, where this is going. We also attend these technology-based conferences, and, you know, that's kind of where we came up with the iNote app. It really wasn't on our radar when uh, we were talking about how to provide meaningful access. And we're going to continue to see what is out there and how we can best provide what uh, the blind and visually impaired need to be able to denominate our currency. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about the program because we are doing as much as we can to uh, get the word out there. And if uh, people have the devices and then know of others who could use them, please encourage them to send an application in. This is being done at no cost to them. Like I said, we're committed to trying to help these folks uh, be able to use currency in, uh, in commerce as easily as possible. That was Lynn Oliar, the director of the Bureau of Engraving and Printing in Washington, D.C. The two free mobile app currency readers are iNote, spelled capital E-Y-E, capital N-O-T-E, and written together, for iPhones and iOS devices, and the ideal currency identifier for Android devices, which the Bureau of Engraving and Printing developed along with the Department of Education. And in this case, IDEAL is the normal spelling, I-D-E-A-L. These free apps are available through iTunes and the Google Play Store, respectively. 
California, Florida, Iowa, Texas, guide dog users, students, IT professionals, government employees. The American Council of the Blind has members in all 50 states and is actively engaged in a wide variety of activities. We advocate for the education, employment, and social inclusion of all blind and visually impaired Americans. We publish a monthly magazine. We hold an annual conference and convention and operate a multi-channel internet radio station. Check us out at acb.org. Together, we can do anything. You can listen to ACB Reports, the ACB Braille Forum, and the eForum by phone. Just dial 605-475-8154. That's 605-475-8154. Want to enjoy ACB Radio but have no computer? It's all there for you by phone. Call 605-475-8130. That's 605-475-8130. The long distance charges and minute usage of your calling plan will apply. You're listening to ACB Reports from the American Council of the Blind. ACB Reports continues with a legislative and advocacy update from Tony Stevens. Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. First of all, Tony, do you have updates on any of the issues that were presented during the recent legislative seminar? Uh, I can't believe it's been two months now since uh, folks came to Washington to meet at our legislative seminar. But there's been a number of issues that have, have been on the hot plate, and even though the perception here in D.C. is that nothing is moving, uh, we're actively involved, and, and there has been some movement on a few of the issues that we've been talking about uh, throughout the year and then that we focused on at the legislative seminar. I think most promising uh, was the Marrakesh Treaty. Uh, it was something that we had been pushing for for a number of years now. And we were beginning to think before a legislative seminar that the Marrakesh Treaty, which was a treaty for the World Intellectual Property Organization, to really expand access to accessible books around the world was going to be something that would sunset this administration. Honestly, coming into February, we thought the year would just drag itself out and that there wouldn't be the opportunity, which made everyone surprised when the president finally sent the ratification package, which is sort of the package that has the treaty that the, the Senate would have to confirm. Uh, and that, as folks may know from their American government classes, requires a two-thirds majority of the Senate to confirm, and we've received some intel from various offices that we've been able to meet with that there's really no significant pushback. There's there's a little bit of pushback from part of industry, but it's kind of a, a, a mom apple pie kind of issue. To that end, we're also still at the will of Congress, which is moving extremely slow. Uh, there have been talks about trying to get a hearing in. Uh, there's six treaties up for consideration, and our understanding is this is one of the three treaties that folks are interested in on both sides of the aisle, both the Republican and Democratic side. Uh, and, you know, compared to other treaties that we've had in the past around disability issues, most recently comes to mind the United Nations Convention for the Rights of People with Disabilities, the CRPD, a couple of years ago that had a very disappointing failure in the Senate. Uh, we feel that this treaty... Uh, you know, is much better well-received uh, by folks here. It's not nearly as controversial as that treaty uh, on disability rights was. So we're pretty optimistic about that. Uh, we were excited to say we got uh, 10 or 12, I believe, co-sponsors signed on following our legislative seminar for the bill pertaining to Medicare and low-vision devices, the low-vision device exclusion under Medicare. There's a bill out, H.R. 729, right now in the House of Representatives, that 
is focused on creating a demonstration, which a demonstration in a sense is like an experiment or a study that the government undertakes to see just what would be the positive impact of removing the exclusion that prohibits people with severe vision loss who are low vision from getting the necessary independent living aids that require a lens. Right now in Medicare, you can't get anything with a lens due to an eyeglasses exclusion. You know, they'll pay for lots of other durable medical goods. But we believe that this is the kind of thing that, A, we don't think it's going to be a huge cost for government in the sense that the return on investment will be really good if we can keep people more independent in their homes then they're not going to have to move into assisted living facilities or nursing homes and things like that. So we think in the long run, it'll save states and federal government a good bit of money by keeping folks more safe and more independent just by giving them the tools they need to be independent in their home. The other issue, at the time, it's not legislative per se. You know, it's not a, a bill that's out there, but part of what we do too is engage the administration in the federal departments. And the Department of Justice, there's been conversations and concerns over recent years in that in the year 2010, on the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of the ADA, the administration came out and said, we're going to focus on making the web accessible. And it's been five and a half, almost six years since that day uh, when the Department of Justice released a notice of proposed rulemaking where they kind of say, okay, we want to do something and here's uh, some questions we have for people involved um, and tell us about it. So that that way the web under state and local entities, which is Title II of the ADA, and then the public bricks and mortar type idea under Title III of the ADA, like stores and, you know, Amazons and things like that online, uh, you know, to make those accessible and the web accessible across the board. The Department of Justice, unfortunately, has delayed, has delayed, has delayed, and in November of last year, they came out and said, you know what, we're going to punt this to 2018. So they're giving it to a new president. So that really hurt. That took the breath out of a lot of folks who really been pushing for web accessibility. On April 28th, the Department of Justice released a supplemental notice of proposed rulemaking, an SNPRM. It's something you don't see a lot. Basically, it kind of said it's a, it's a whole list of questions they're soliciting from stakeholders. And the tone coming out of the letter was a bit disconcerting. In fact, we sent a press release out the first week of May about this, uh, where the tone was, was very much, you know, since in 2010, we, we talked about the Internet, and it's changed so much. So we're kind of starting from scratch again. And this was just on Title II, the low-hanging fruit of states and local governments, which are usually much more accountable and easy to get access to for trying to make things accessible uh, compared to going after every small business that has a website or every large corporation that has a website, you know, in an app or something like that. Uh, you know, it's often easier to go after state government, local governments uh, for ADA complaints. So this was a real low-hanging fruit that in, in six years they're kind of saying, well, we're, we're still trying to figure this out. So we continue to urge the Department of Justice to let's make the web accessible. It's 26 years now after the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. The Internet was a baby then. It was in the hands of the government and higher education. You know, the World Wide Web wasn't even really around yet. It's one of the few major phenomenons in our society that has grown up post-ADA, you know, in, in any kind of industrial revolution or anything like that. The Internet has grown up in light of the ADA and the shadow of it, and yet it's not regulated by it. So we feel that this is a major issue that, that we're going to continue to push for because it's, it, as, as you know, is a major point 
of social inclusion now. It's where society is, is really meeting, particularly for younger folks and, and even, you know, grandparents who are on Facebook. And even professionals and, uh, you know, professional organizations. And it literally touches every aspect of one's life. And uh, I'm guessing that we will hear much more about this topic in the upcoming conference uh, this summer in Minneapolis. We will, yeah. We're looking forward to, you know, I'm looking forward. This will be my first chance to sort of wear this hat at the, at the National Conference and Convention in Minneapolis. And, you know, I'm excited because there's, there's a bunch of issues that we're working on here in D.C. We're also working on some transportation issues um, around, you know, service animals and aviation and in-flight entertainment, and a host of other issues we're working on in, in various sectors of the government and in the private sector. And we're looking forward to engaging folks at the conference with that. There will be opportunities for folks to get involved with, you know, obvious stakeholder-type uh, meetings with corporations and groups that will be there visiting and looking for input. We'll be getting input through, obviously, our resolutions to help set the tone for the next year, uh, you know, the agenda that's set, that helps set our plate here in Washington. Uh, will be set at the, the conference this summer in Minneapolis. And then, too, you know, it really will give a chance to give folks more updates. We're also expecting the final regulations of the Rehabilitation Act of Rehab, which was a part of the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act passed a couple of years ago. And that plays a major part in vocational rehabilitation and the workforce development system, and we're expecting that final rule in June. So there is a lot going on right now around advocacy, so we're looking forward in Minneapolis to really engaging folks and getting folks not just up to speed but activated to help us not just be self-advocates, but for all of us to be an advocate for the causes we're working toward right now. Right, and that's very much in keeping with the theme of uh, the uh, legislative seminar that was held earlier this year. Take it home and start it from there. It, it is, and it's got to be a continued effort. It's not just reaching out to your member of Congress, but it's reaching out to everybody in our community um, so that as we seek to be equals amongst others in our society, we also have to be able to communicate those concerns across the board so that everybody is sort of aware and understanding in a way that um, we can get others, not just people who are blind, but others to help sort of help fight the good fight in a sense. Okay. Anything else? Uh, you know, it's, it's busy right now, I'll, I'll be honest, in a good way, though. Um, and if there's ever anything, obviously... In issues of accessibility, if people are facing their headaches, you know, we're telling folks go online, use the hashtag web access, or shoot us an email, give us a call. If there's specific issues that folks are encountering on the Internet, uh, let us know. We need to fill our, our coffers, if you will, with the stories and anecdotes and frustrations, because that helps tell the story. So the more we get those experiences and difficulties people are having, the more we make this a reality to go up against folks that say, look, it's, it's cost prohibitive or whatever, it's clearly part of the Americans with Disability Act. I mean, our culture is online now. Think of a person who was blind 25 years ago, 27 years ago before the ADA, before we had online shopping, uh, before we had things like transportation networks like Uber or Lyft, uh, you know, the social web, if you will, has allowed us to get out into our community and also have our community come to us but it needs to be accessible for us to participate in that. So it's a major issue, I think, that the blindness community across the board and across advocacy groups, not just us, are really pushing for right now. That was Tony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. 
If you have questions or information to share with Tony about these issues, send an email to astevens at acb.org. That's A-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S at A-C-B dot O-R-G. Or contact him via telephone at the ACB National Office. That phone number follows shortly. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.